Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. Earlier this year, Mark Friedman gathered more than 400 baby boomers in a San Francisco convention hotel a few miles from Haight-Ashbury, where the summer of love helped ignite the 1960s counterculture. He has a different social revolution in mind. Friedman's national nonprofit, Encore, promotes second acts for the greater good. His vision is to mobilize a vast wave of older Americans to volunteer in organizations serving youth. Reverend Bell Mickelson, who founded a traveling music program for children in remote Alaskan villages, was there. Jamal Joseph, who founded Impact Repertory Theater, a program for youth in Harlem that teaches leadership as well as the creative arts, was there. Joseph is a former Black Panther who did two stints in prison. His path, he says, was from pain to power. Robert Egger, who founded DC Central Kitchen and LA Kitchen, which provide food service training to young adults aging out of foster care, as well as to older folks coming out of prison, spoke about what happens when people who have been through hard times support one another in forging a new path. A great nonprofit doesn't fix problems, says Egger. It reveals the power of a community to solve them. Each of these activists and social entrepreneurs lives the ancient proverb that a society becomes great when elders plant trees in whose shade they know they will never sit. Each of them answers to a still, small voice or a roaring within, a calling that inspires them and compels them to serve. In his book, The Great Work of Your Life, my friend Stephen Cope wrote a beautiful chapter on Harriet Tubman, subtitled, Walk by Faith. Stephen's grandfather was Dr. Elias Willard Frisbee, an ardent abolitionist who worked closely with Harriet Tubman and whose home was a hub on the Underground Railroad. Stephen cut his teeth on stories of danger and triumph. His grandmother, Dr. Frisbee's granddaughter, used these teaching tales to instill character. Hew to your high ideals and do what you know is right, even if you have to take risks, she said. Do what you have to do. It was a powerful directive to good, but it was Harriet Tubman's calling that captivated Stephen, who's founder of the Kripalu Institute for Extraordinary Living. It has a lot to say to us today about how we, too, might choose to listen, to hear, and to say yes. Born into slavery, in 1825, Harriet Tubman learned its terrible lessons. Your body is not your body. Your labor is not your labor. Your family 
is not yours to enjoy. Harriet Tubman's mother endured this unimaginable horror by cultivating a sustaining faith, which she transmitted to her daughter. In 1849, at the age of 24, Harriet learned that 10 years earlier, at his death, her master had freed her and her family in his will. She prayed fervently that their new master would do the right thing, but his heart was not changed. Harriet came to believe that God wanted her to free herself. She needed to combine prayer with action. On September 24th, 1850, having methodically planned her escape, she quietly slipped away. She knew from the songs they sang in the fields that she should only move at night, that she should walk the riverbank of the Choptank River leading north, and that she should follow the drinking gourd, the constellation of the Big Dipper whose two end stars point to Polaris, the North Star. Along the way, she made contact with members of the Underground Railroad. And at last, having traveled some 130 miles up through Maryland into Pennsylvania, she arrived in Philadelphia, the promised land for fugitive slaves. Just a few months later, news reached her that her niece, Cassia, was about to be sold downriver. She distinctly heard a voice telling her she must help free her. Like every prophet before her, Harriet's initial response was, who me? Like, you have the wrong person. Find someone else. Doubt and indecision are the hallmark of every call story, as was Harriet Tubman's next move. Because she had absolutely no idea how to pull off a rescue, she put herself, she said, into God's hands. She prayed, she listened, and returning to Maryland where she was wanted as a fugitive, she successfully led Cassia and her husband, John Boley, along with their two children, to freedom. The fire of Harriet Tubman's true calling was kindled. Most conductors on the Underground Railroad were white men who heroically moved slaves from station to station, hideaways and attics and barns, and knew very little about the extent of the network, and the less they knew, the better. But Harriet Tubman, small of stature, with no formal education, was the bravest of all, venturing deep into slaveholding territories to effect those rescues. Between 1850 and 1860, she carried out at least 19 daring raids in the American South, leading her family, friends, and anyone brave enough to follow her out of bondage to freedom. By the time the Civil War erupted, there was a $40,000 bounty on her head, which is well over a million dollars today. All in all, she rescued some 300 slaves. Eventually, she decided that Canada was the new Canaan. I wouldn't trust Uncle Sam with my people no longer, she said, but I brought him clear off to Canada. How did she do it? She believed that God would guide her every step. She used the biblical stories of the Israelites' exodus from Egypt to encourage her charges. She prayed with them to give them courage. But there was something more at work in her. 
Stephen Cope writes, Harriet Tubman had an uncanny ability to evade danger, often leading as many as a dozen fugitives at a time. She had a second sense about when to move and when to stay undercover, hunches that often defied common sense. She had an unerring sense of which house might be safe, which house might harbor danger. In speaking about what she called her second sight, Harriet said, when danger is near, it appears that my heart flutters. Her Quaker friend, fellow abductor Thomas Garrett said, Harriet seems to have a special angel to guard her on her journey of mercy and confidence that God will preserve her from harm in all her perilous journeys. I never met with any person of any color, he added, who had more confidence in the voice of God as spoken directly to her soul. That sense of being guided clearly broke in on Harriet when there was literally nothing left to do but pray, transform her willfulness into willingness and trust. In his spiritual classic, Abandonment to Divine Providence, also translated as the Sacrament of the Present Moment, 17th century Jesuit priest Jean-Pierre de Cassaud explains that when we turn ourselves over to our calling and give in to divine guidance, we will trust without reservation and put aside all nervousness. We are sent along the path God has chosen for us, he says, but we cannot see it and nothing we have read is of any help to us. Were we acting on our own, we should have to rely on our experience. It would be too risky to do anything else. But it is very different when God acts with us. Divine action is always new and fresh. It never retraces its steps, but always finds new roots. The work in our souls, concludes Father de Cassaud, cannot be accomplished by cleverness, intelligence, or any subtlety of mind, but only by completely abandoning ourselves to divine action. In the midst of writing the great work of your life, Stephen Cope became enchanted with the question, how can you be certain if it's not just your own will in disguise, perhaps especially if you don't believe in God? He and a friend came up with a list of eight steps that looks something like this. First of all, ask for guidance. The asking is important. Sometimes asking repeatedly is required. Second, listen for the response. It may be subtle, just a hunch, a single word, an image. Open yourself to surprise. Three, if you get a lead, put it to the test. Check it out with friends. Scrutinize it. Four, don't hurry. Slow down, keep investigating, and wait for clarity. Five, pray for the courage to take action. Maybe we don't want to move on this. Maybe it's inconvenient. It's probably scary. Pray for willingness and courage. Six, 
think this is my favorite. Let go of the attempt to eliminate risk from your call. Seven, feel your way along. Move with deliberation and care. If you lose the way, go back to the last known point of surety. Harriet Tubman said, if you are tired, keep going. If you are scared, keep going. If you are hungry, keep going. If you want to taste freedom, keep going. Just keep going. And eight, let go of the outcome. Harriet Tubman said, each and every person has the light of God within. Each of us is called. Beloved spiritual companions, may our true calling be kindled. May we combine asking with listening and prayer with action, giving ourselves wholeheartedly to divine action. May we be willing and courageous, willing to risk and courageous enough to walk toward freedom. Just keep going. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. We would love to hear from you via email at office at ASCBoston.org or through our Facebook page. If you would like to support the good work of Arlington Street Church, please consider a contribution by checking the mail or through our website, ASCBoston.org.